0: Good morning. I'm so encouraged that you came on, no doubt, what was a busy holiday weekend, uh, that God prompted you and moved in your heart to come, to want to be together with His people, to worship, to fellowship, to hear from Him. My name is Tommy Clayton. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome to everyone at home and everyone sitting here. And I want to jump right in with a prayer. Let's ask God to bless our time together, and we'll jump into our passage here in Romans 8. We are in the The tail end of a a mini-series within Romans, just basically talking about how do you kill your sin? How do you put to death the deeds of the body and slaughter and execute your sin? How do you do that by the Spirit? So today is uh, the last message message in that, I think. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. I pray that your Spirit would come and would help us together as we look at these important words, these important promises, these important realities. I pray that they would fill our minds, that they would engage our hearts, they would transform our thinking, renew our mind as prayed prayed, Lord, as Romans tells us and a little bit later in chapter 12, uh, may we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, may we be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. May we look more like him because of the powerful realities and truths that we're going to hear today. May we be further equipped, empowered, galvanized to, to, to fight against the seductive temptation and siren calls of sin that hits all of us in different ways, Lord. May we not be ignorant of of sin's strategy, and especially may we not be ignorant of the new power that you put within us, your living, breathing Holy Spirit, filling us with life, shining the spotlight on the beauty of Jesus Christ, putting the weapon of uh, Scripture into our hands. I pray we would be helped and changed today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, no matter how long you have been a Christian and no matter how long you have grown in the Christian life, no matter how long or how deeply you've studied the Bible, no matter who you've sat under, no matter what you've accomplished, no matter what degrees you have, I can tell you the reality for each and every one of you sitting here and under the sound of my teaching today is that still sin still wants you. It is still very much after you. It still very much wants to seduce you and deceive you and destroy you. It's a predator. It's a predator and it's after you. That's true. That's what the Bible tells us. That's the picture that Scripture paints, the reality that God reminds us of over and over and over. And we're not supposed to catch it. We're not supposed to trap it. We're not supposed to tame it or domesticate it. We're supposed to fight it. We're supposed to kill it, put it to death. That's what. This passage actually says that Bree just read, we're focusing on just three words here really by the Spirit, but let me read the very beginning of this. So then brothers, and by inclusion sisters, the word includes all, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, and hit the pause button, just a quick reminder. What that means is you don't owe yourself anything. We tend to play the the victim sometimes, and oh, I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted, I've done so much. I've suffered in so many ways, it's, it's, it's time for me to reward myself uh, with something that's forbidden or something that's enticing or something that will feel good in the, in the beginning but will taste bitter later. I owe that to myself. We do that sometimes with comfort foods. We do that sometimes with, with things that we know are going to play an addictive role in our life. And sometimes we do it with things ethically, morally, spiritually that are forbidden. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't spin that narrative to yourself. Don't tell yourself that story. You don't owe sin anything. The only thing you owe sin is to kill it. That's what he says next. We are debtors, not to the flesh. You don't owe your flesh anything. It's never done any good thing for you. It's left you empty, regretful, remorseful, disappointed, sad, angry. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if... By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So that's what we're talking about. How do we put to death the deeds of the body? Well, you don't do it in the power and strength of your own flesh. The only strength your flesh has is to lead you astray. We need to be led by the Spirit, which is the very next section talks about that. So this is not talking about just saying no. This is not talking about more will, power, heroic self-will. That's not going to rescue you. Very often that's the culprit that gets us into the trouble we find ourselves in. This is not just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This is being filled with a, a power that previously was alien to you until you came to Christ. You were born again. God poured his spirit into you. That The spirit now indwells you. So you have power. You have authority. You've been equipped. You're under a new realm now. You are a new creature. All things have become new. Old things have passed away. I think sometimes people think we fight sin just with that willpower, just by saying no, just say no, just stop it, just change your mind, just think happy thoughts. That doesn't work. Or we think, just give me a new set of moral principles, a new code of ethical conduct, and that's legalism, and everybody has their own code to give to you. They're very happy to give it to you. Don't go here, don't go there, don't watch this, don't listen to this. We need wisdom in those things, but the problem with legalism is, listen, a Christian wants you to look more like Jesus. A legalist wants you to look more like him (laughs) or her. You're not being conformed to the image of Tommy. I mean, I can say what Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, but you're not supposed to look like me. You're supposed to look like Jesus. Thank God, huh? (laughs) A legalist wants you to look like them. A Christian wants you to look more like Christ. So you don't do it in the power of legalism. You also don't do it in the power of what's called monasticism. That's just a fancy word that it means to punish your flesh. Punish your flesh so that it can uh, conform and finally listen to you, right? St. Jerome was famous. He was one of the early church fathers who translated uh, the Bible into Latin. He wrote the Latin Vulgate. I believe that's right I'm getting my church history right. Well, man, he had a struggle with the flesh. He lived in Rome, all the pleasures in Rome in the first century, and he said, I'm out of here. I'm going to fight the flesh by relocating. I'm going to go in the desert. I'm going to starve myself. I'm going to put this scratchy, itchy camel hair potato sack on. He punished his flesh. He inflicted pain. Can you imagine doing that seven years? Thinking, here's the answer. Central Florida is so wicked. It's so perverted. It's so so disgust me. I'm going to fight the flesh. I'm going to look more like Jesus by going to a deserted island. That's where the power is at. And in his writing, he kept meticulous journals. He said that out in the desert with the wild animals in the wilderness, in the heat by day and the frost by night, he said that visions of dancing girls fill his mind. Can you escape the flesh? No. No, you've got to face it. You've got to fight it. I mean, there's a time to flee from temptation, just like Joseph did. Don't get me wrong. Flee sexual immorality. You don't stand and fight that. You flee. But the temptation is what you fight. And the Bible's telling us there's a way to do it that's successful. There's a way to do it that's God's way, and it's better than your way. And it is by the Spirit or through the Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And Paul has much more in mind than just eternal life. If you put to death the deeds of the body, you're going to go to heaven. And this is not something you're earning. He's not saying if you fight hard enough and good enough, then your reward is heaven. He's not saying that. He's already been fighting against that work salvation mentality. He says you're just proving out that you belong to God when you're engaged in this fight. He's talking about more than heaven. He's talking about more abundant life here and now. The more abundant life, contrary to what the world and the fallen culture may tell you, it's not acting on every impulse you have that's fallen. I feel this way. I feel this urge. I feel this basic animalistic instinct uh, to fulfill my appetites. If it feels good, do it, right? That's gonna, we already know where that leaves you. Empty, guilty, broken, exhausted, wearied. That's not what you do. He's talking about the more abundant life life. Here is to say no to sin, but to say yes to God. That's what Paul's talking about here. So this is about more than self-control. This is how we use God's Spirit. And really the question that the Apostle Paul is answering here is this. How do we kill sin by the Spirit? Or what role does the Holy Spirit play in mine and your fight against the temptations of our flesh? Or... (laughs) What role does the Holy Spirit play in our growing and changing and being conformed to the image of Jesus? He does play a role. What role does he play? That's what our passage lays out, and this is the fourth message. I preached on this, and here's why. Maybe selfishly, I need more help in this area. Maybe I'm the only one. I'm a Christian. I love God. I study his word. I'm a shepherd. I care about what the Bible says, but I still struggle. I still have this struggle with indwelling sin that the Bible tells me all about, and I need God's help. And so by just immersing myself in this section, I feel like I've been more helped, and maybe, maybe you're being more helped too. Because so often I find that I am weak and I need strength. That's why we do that grace life greeting that, that Bree read to all who are weak and need strength. To all who are sad and need and mourn and need comfort. Sometimes I doubt and I need assurance. Sometimes I forget and I need reminders. Sometimes I just dis- I get discouraged and I need help. Well, Romans 8 is for you. If that's you, this section especially is, is for you. It's for all of us. This is a good passage to just pull the car over. You're driving down the road. You see this breathtaking scenery and you say, you know what? I'm tired of the busyness and the hustle and bustle of life. I'm pulling the stinking car over and I'm getting out and I'm going to inhale this and I'm going to take in this beauty. and I'm going to take a, leave your phone out. I'm just going to take a mental snapshot. And say, man, I needed this. I needed this breath of fresh air. I needed God to just meet me right where I'm at in my struggle. That's what God is doing in Romans eight. This is a, an oasis in the wasteland of this world. This is don't you get weary and parched and just the the wasteland of this world that we live in? You need a drink. You get lonely. You get afraid. You get stuck in the business and you forget why you're here. You need to be restored. I was telling our elders the other day. It's funny, man. I, I love trying to memorize scripture and the hardest scriptures for me to memorize are the ones that are the most popular, I guess you could say. Psalm 23, most people, even a, pe- a lot of people that have never darkened the door of a church building, they know Psalm 23. The Lord say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See most most people know that sh- that psalm. I have a hard time memorizing that. I don't know why. I'm just dull, I guess. But here's where I struggle with that psalm. I get the first part, the Lord's my shepherd. I get it. I know it. I I celebrate that. I affirm that. I acknowledge it. I confess it. I need a shepherd. God's my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He has to make me because I'm like this wounded animal. I don't. I don't. You, you know what I'm saying? That God says, "No, lie down. Be still. Stop. Sit. Rest." I need that. I want that. He makes me lie down in green pastures where there's actually non-poisonous plants and non-venomous animals that are gonna bite the, the, the feet of the sheep and kill us, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures, and I'm thirsty, I'm wearied, I'm parched, I'm dying, I'm dehydrated, like a kid that doesn't know it, doesn't know why they're sick and why they, they're weak and frail and pale. So he leads me beside still waters, not the rushing white rapids that are going to sweep me out from under my feet and drown me, no. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures as my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters, and then I skip the next part. I always forget the next part when I'm memorizing it. And I go right into, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm like, all right, I'm good. I ate, I drank, I'm good. Let's go. Let's get to the good part, the obedience. But you know what I forget? Anybody recognize what I left out? He restores me. He restores me. Unless and until I'm restored, I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm no good, man. I'm like the, when I ran track, they would always talk about the rabbit, watch out for the rabbit. Sometimes the opposing team were so deceitful, and they would send this rabbit to heighten the pace of the race at a pace where you couldn't possibly keep up, but you felt like, if I don't, I'm going to lose. I'm embarrassed to say I was that rabbit a few times trying to trick the other team. You take off running as fast as you can, and people are thinking, oh, goodness, I got to catch up, and then the guy says, ha-ha, I'm done, and then you lose the race, right? Right? I need to be restored. I need to rest. And Romans 8, is the, the oasis we need to be restored. So how, do, how does God help us by his spirit kill sin? Three ways. And we talked about this briefly last time. I didn't finish it. I'm going to finish it today. Don't worry. I'm going to be as brief as I can, okay? Three ways. What does the Holy Spirit do? He, he shows us the spiritual reality that we're in, the spiritual reality that we're in. Secondly, the, the divine security that we need. He gives us that divine security. He reminds us of the truth about our adoption. We're adopted by God. God is our father. We belong to him. God is for us. How breathtaking and wonderful is that reality? Maybe you just need to hear that today. Here, let's let's stop for a minute. Let me me tell you something that you're not going to hear out there, okay? And sometimes you're not going to hear in here or in here. But the Holy Spirit tells you, God in Christ is for you. He's for you. He's for you, he's with you, he's within you. He's empowering you. He's training your hands for war. He's helping you remember all the promises of Scripture. You are not alone for a second. You will, when you are in Christ, God sends the Holy Spirit to fill you. You will never be alone for as long as you live. I don't care what broken relational realities that you have faced or that you will face. You're never alone, ever. I need, I need that truth, man. I need it. I need it every day of my life, and I have it. John Wesley had The entire chapter of Romans 8 read out loud to him every day of his life after he became a Christian. And I know why. Spiritual reality. First is the spiritual reality. And this is just simply, do you know what's going on? Are you aware of what's going on spiritually? Are you in tune with what's really happening around you and inside of you? Can you explain why things are the way they are? This whole chapter is really about assurance and about truth and about being changed. And the Spirit of God, listen, Christianity is spiritual reality at its highest. It's spiritual reality at its highest. It's not just behavior change, like I said earlier. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's the Holy Spirit comes and enlightens you. Like the matrix, look, you can take the blue pill and you can, and you can remain in, in blissful ignorance. It's ign- ignorance is not bliss, it's suicide spiritually, okay? But you may feel comfortable as you're dying. You can take the blue pill and remain in ignorance, or you can take the red pill and unhook from the matrix. And God's going to show you what's really going on. That there is a spiritual reality going on. There is conflict in the heavenly places. Darkened forces are against you. You have this sinister indwelling presence that's trying to kill you but God is for you. It opens up your mind to see spiritual realities. That's why it says that you are being led in verse 14 here. Let's look at it. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All of us are being led by someone or something. What's leading you? Is it the the culture leading you? What's giving you your cues? What is shaping you and molding you? What, What is controlling the way you think about life? The way you think about relationships the way you think about family the way you think about your singleness the way you think about sexual sexual realities and money and fame and beauty who is leading you in that who's teaching you those things if you're letting the world or your own fallen desires listen at some point what you believe about yourself and what you believe about the world is going to come into conflict with the bible and you're going to let one or the other lead you Either the Holy Spirit is going to lead you or something else that's fallen and deceitful is going to lead you. I'm even thinking about just beauty. You know, if you talk to somebody about beauty, what is beauty? Well, if you're going through the checkout counter and you glance over at all those tabloids, you're going to get completely warped and perverted understanding of what true beauty is. I read the other day when Kim Kardashian turned 41, the New York Times interviewed her, and she said this, and I'm not doing this for laughs and chuckles and giggles. It's tragic to me. She said, if you told me that if I ate poop every single day, I would remain young and beautiful forever, I would, I would probably do it. Kim Kardashian said that, and you know what? I believe she means it. Why? Because being on the cover of whatever magazine she's on and looking young and pretty on the outside... Uh, that's, what, that's what her fallen heart craves to feel meaningful and to feel valuable and to feel important. It said, I had this synthetic shine about me. When the Bible says, Look, here's what true beauty is God declaring over you that you're beautiful because of what His Son is molding you into. That's true beauty. And you ain't got to eat poop to have that affirmation, okay? <laughs> you just have to believe. You receive this. God has an identity that you receive. That's what it says here. You have received the spirit of adoption, so that you can cry out, Abba, Father. You don't achieve it. You don't earn it. You don't have to starve yourself and eat just cornflakes all day or whatever it is starving people eat so that you can earn this approval of, okay, you're skinny enough. Now you're beautiful. God says you're beautiful because of what my son is doing inside of you, because of how my spirit is leading you. This whole chapter talks about that reality. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he enlightens us. He helps us see what's going on. You know, Jesus in three chapters, John 14, 15, 16, the night he was betrayed, he was importing this information to his disciples, and he talked about the Holy Spirit over and over. And these are some of the ways he talked about the Holy Spirit. He said things like this. The Holy Spirit is the helper. I will send another helper to be with you forever. So these disciples are hearing Jesus say, I'm going away. And he says, but don't worry. It's good for you that I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send another helper. So Jesus was a helper, but Jesus says, I'm sending another helper. And oh, oh, your help's about to be elevated to the next level. That's why he said in another place, if I go away, you'll do the things that I did, but greater things than these will you do because I go to my Father. And what he meant by that is I'm sending the Holy Spirit who's going to dwell inside of you and empower you to do the things that I've done. I will send another helper to be with you forever. He'll, he'll never leave. What a promise. He says, the spirit of truth. You know him, Jesus says, for he dwells with you. And he will be in you. And we're living in that reality. Isn't it interesting? You read the words of Jesus to his disciples and you're like, oh, that's happened. Christ. The promise that Christ made to his disciples has already transpired. I had the Holy Spirit, the helper, he promised that will be with me forever living inside of me. He is with me and he's not going anywhere. There's nothing that God has called me to do that I can't do. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I believe that is a supernatural reminding of us. When we're reading Scripture and hiding Scripture in our heart and doing what Psalm 1 tells us to do, meditating on Scripture, delighting in in Scripture day and night, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand what it means, to hide it in our heart, and, and to remember it when we need it the most, when we need it the most. He will guide you into all truth. He will not guide you into error. He will bear witness about me. He will glorify me. That's what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit shines a spotlight on the beauty of Jesus that's so moving and awakening. Holy Spirit seals us, He fills us, He empowers us, He indwells us, He convicts us of sin. He does all those things. We talked about that last week, I think, the week before last. How Ephesians six seventeen says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Sword of the Spirit. So if we're putting to death the deeds of the body, if we're fighting sin and executing it with the Spirit's help, one of the primary weapons. He's going to unleash inside of us is scripture, which is why my prayer and my hope for this body is that you guys are reading the Bible, not so you can check a box saying you did it, not so you can feel better about yourself, so that you can actually get real help against the real struggle with the real sin that you face every day. I hope, I hope, I hope that you're not neglecting that. Listen, guys, nothing good ever comes from neglect. My, My daughter has a show. She makes me watch it with her. I don't know if she's in here. Kirsten, <laughs> I'm not trying to embarrass you. She makes me watch the show with her, and it's called My Feet Are Killing Me. Anybody ever seen that? Ugh. Sorry. Thoden, you got to check that show out if you haven't seen it. It's people that have a condition in their feet. Some of it's, uh, what's the right way to say this, man, nicely? Some of it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some of it they can't help, it's genetic. Some of it they can't help, and they did not, okay? But it shows people, and they have a condition in their feet, and it's gotten worse and worse, and they feel shame because of it. So you know what they never do? They never go get help. They never treat it. They cover it up. They put thick socks on. They put oversized shoes on. And then it show, it's, It blows my mind. I don't know how much money they have to give these people. Surely they give them money to be on this show because they're crying, and they're in this doctor's office, and the camera's there in high definition now, 4K. And they're showing their feet. And there's fungus unlike anything you've ever seen on it. And they're just bawling. There's toenails that are curled up and yellow. It's disgusting. And in a nice way, you feel the pain of this doctor trying to say, how did it get to this? How could you let your feet get this bad? Where in some cases, it is deadly. It can kill you. And I think so often, I'm, always, I'm just a desperate preacher. So I'm watching this going, oh, that's an illustration. <laughs> People are like, I'm never telling you anything. I'll end up in a, in a, in a sermon. No, I'll. but seriously what has ever come with neglecting god's word how many things do we give our attention to that really don't help us they entertain us right there there are times of levity and, and times of entertainment and times of recreation and i get it and those things are important but man the one thing that god has promised to attend and to strengthen you through so often that's just like if i have time for it or i'll do it on sunday i'll only do it on sunday which i've told you is like Taking a breath of air on Sunday and saying, I'm good for the week. Or eating a plate of spaghetti on Sunday and saying, I don't need to eat throughout the rest of the week. but you do, like, like newborn babes, create the pure spi- spiritual milk of the word so that you may grow up in it. So that's one of the ways that the, that the Holy Spirit helps us, is the spiritual reality he shows us. And my friend Larry Kirk said this, I wrote this down. He said, when you listen to scripture... You aren't just getting commands to obey, but a perspective to embrace. You need perspective. Perspective is so powerfully shaping. He says you're getting a perspective to embrace, a worldview to adopt, a purpose to life, a set of priorities by which to live. And you're given authority that assures you and that imparts hope and that encourages you. We have all these promises from God that tell us who we are. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to walk through this, wo- this world with spiritual shyness. We've been given divine authority. We've been given with power over the enemy, the Bible says. That's important, guys. That's, I know that scares some people that came from different backgrounds and are like, well, be careful. And, and I understand that. It's like, well, we got to be careful talking about that. But, but the Bible says these things to help us. We are not victims of whatever Satan wants to try and do with us. We're not afraid of the enemy. We have been given power over him. One day we will judge angels, the Bible says. I read that the other day in 1 Corinthians. Blows my mind. The Apostle Paul's confronting a, a silly church that was uh, taking every, every conflict they had with another believer to court. And he said, what are you doing? Is there not one wise person among you who can judge these matters? He says, do you not know you'll judge angels one day? And I was like, dang, angels. There was an angel in the Old Testament. That slaughtered 185,000 Assyrians. We're going to judge angels one day. What power, man, and authority has God given us? And that's not to puff you up. It's to help you when you're confronted with sin to remember who I am. I don't have to, oh, that was the urge was too strong. The temptation was overpowering. But you do know you have the Holy Spirit in you, right? God put him there to help you in times just like that. So we have this spiritual reality. Faith lives in God's promises like a fish lives in water. Faith comes by hearing. We need faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God, exposing yourself to it strategically, frequently, intentionally, over and over again. That's why you hear a lot of Christians talk about, I had my quiet time, and sometimes people roll their eyes. They're talking about their quiet time. Well, all they're saying is, look, I spend time in God's Word. And don't mock somebody for saying that. Maybe you don't like the whole quiet time thing, but I ho- I hopefully everybody who's a believer has a time where you get alone with God. You and God's Word, and you turn off your devices, you turn off the TV, you turn off the noise. That's the one time. It may be, maybe it's okay to give your kid a phone, okay, or whatever they need, and say, Mommy and Daddy, or, you know, I need, I need some time away. Susanna Wesley had 17 kids, and she would flip her apron over her head and get her Bible, You imagine, 17 kids, probably about, I don't know, as far apart as as your body will let them because it was one after the other, right? And she told her kids, when mom has the apron over her head, she's reading Bible, don't come near me (laughs) unless you're dying, right, or you will be dying. Anyway, okay, second, divine security. Divine security. Check this out, man. So the Holy Spirit. What is he reminding us of? This whole chapter is about the Spirit's operation and how God uses his Holy Spirit to give us security and assurance. And I don't, mo- I don't know about you, I need assurance. Do you? Do you know why you need assurance? You have to know who you are before you get sent out in the battle. If you're not sure where you stand with God, you're going to be a worthless soldier. You really are. Can you imagine being sent out by the, by the United States military to fight in a war to defend your country? And they're like, we're going to send you out. We're really not sure that we, we want to enlist you, but uh, go out there and get after it, soldier. Can you imagine you had this uncertain and weird, awkward relationship with the, with the organization, the country that you're supposed to be fighting on behalf of? You'd probably be worth, was probably a better illustration than that. But I'm thinking of our relationship to God as our Father. The Holy Spirit has been sent for one of the many reasons to testify, yes, Yes, you're God's child. The word child or the word son is used six times in this section of Romans 8. Paul's trying to get our attention. saying, you have been adopted. You belong to God. Check this out. Let's read it. Don't take my word for it. Don't ever take my word for it. If it's not in the Bible, question it. Question it. I'm just up here making noise if it ain't in the Bible, right? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the spirit himself. (laughs) Don't you love that? The spirit himself. He didn't send an angel to do this. He didn't send an apostle, a prophet, a priest, a king. The spirit himself came. He said, this is such an important truth and reality and promise to communicate. I don't trust it to anybody else. I'm going. I'm going. Holy Spirit says, they got to know this. I'll go and I'll fill them and I'll, I'll be a co-testifier with them. The Spirit of God bears witness himself with our spirit. There's this co- co-witnessing going on. It's incredible. Thank you. Right there it is. He's been sent. And what does he say? He says, you're mine. You're adopted. You belong to me. I heard a story the other day. Brent Carnathan and I were talking on the phone and I asked him, I said, remind me of that story you told me. And I'm pretty sure it was Tony Evans. Uh, the pastor, the evangelist, and he was on Focus on the Family with one of his sons, who apparently had two sons at some point that he fostered, cared for, and eventually they were adopted. But these, these two boys were rambunctious, and they were uh, mischievous, and they had caused trouble in every place they'd been in, and they'd always got kicked out. I mean, I can't even wrap my head around that. Can you imagine? Every house, every home, every potential parent, and you mess it up, and you get kicked out. Sorry, we don't want you. Well, they came to the Evans home, and things were going okay, and Tony Evans, as you know, he speaks a lot at conferences. He's a very busy pastor. I think he recently lost his wife to cancer, and just an incredible man. I've always appreciated uh, his ministry, and he was away speaking, and he got a phone call, and it was his wife, and she said, listen, Tony, we're all okay, but the boys were playing upstairs with matches. And uh, they actually caught the house on fire. There was a terrible fire. We were all out. We're all at the hospital getting checked out, but we're okay. Well, he cut his trip short. He went back, went to the hospital, talked to him. And while the, the house wasn't completely ruined, they were making repairs on it, and they had to stay in an apartment and for a couple of weeks. And day after day, Tony Evans was just ministering to his family, and they were sitting down to dinner one night, and one of the boys started crying. And he said, just do it. Just do it. Just say it already. Say it. Tony Evans said, What are you talking about? He said, Say what everybody else says. You can't live here anymore. We don't want you. You messed everything up. And Tony laid his fork down and he looked at him. He said, Boys, he said, don't you understand? You're mine now. You're my sons. I'm adopting you. You belong to me. There is nothing you could ever do to change that reality. Nothing. The worst thing you could ever do, I'm never gonna leave you. You're mine. You're not going anywhere. You're gonna stay here forever. And years later, on that show, when the son was telling that story and Tony was there, the son said, Something clicked for me. Something clicked for me when I heard, when I heard my daddy say that. He said, I understood God's love in a way I'd never understood it before, and the gospel finally made sense to me. That's what this is. That's the power of adoptive language that he didn't get this from. From Jewish background. He got it from, Ro- this was a Roman illustration for a Roman church, right? He's saying, do you understand the reality is that you belong to God now, and there's nothing that could ever sever that relationship. You're his. And listen, that's not some secret that God is holding out on you, that when you're a little bit naughty, he takes it away. That's the time you need it the most. It's when you've messed up, and you, and you doubt it, and that's when Satan swoops in and says, boy, I don't know. That was pretty bad, and that's what twenty times now. I don't know that you're embarrassing God. I definitely wouldn't presume to, for you to think that He still wants you. Sometimes Satan whispers that in your ear. Sometimes that's the narrative that we're we're just we listen to ourselves more than we listen to anybody else. You ever say that to yourself? Well, that's it. God's not going to forgive me now. He won't forgive me again. I'm making a fool out of Him. That's that's when you need this promise the most. When you need to be moved deeper into the reality that, listen, when God saved you, he saved you with his eyes wide open. There's nothing you could ever do that's going to surprise him, shock him, or cause him to disown you. He is not ashamed to be called your brother. From Hebrews. Man, that's an incredible promise, isn't it? God is not ashamed of me. Other people are, rightly so. (laughs) I embarrass my kids all the time, right? And I'm not saying it's not possible to grieve the Spirit of God. You can grieve Him. He's a person. You can insult the Spirit of grace. You can grieve Him. But thank God He he comes back to gently convict us and bring us to repentance. That's His role. That's His operation. That's His ministry to us. And don't we need it? Don't resist that. Don't fight against that. Divine security. He takes us and shows us these breathtaking realities the Spirit within us does so that we can triumph over the sin within us. Sometimes our heart dreads God as an angry judge, right? And God has to remind us, judgment day was 2,000 years ago. You're not in God's courtroom anymore. You're in his living room. He's your father. That was a scandalous thing for people. When Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our father who art in heaven. That would have blown their mind. No Jew ever spoke the name of God, let alone called God their father. And Jesus came and he said, This is how God wants you to think about him, not as an angry employer, not as a distant judge, not as somebody with their arm crossed who's distant and cold and aloof, somebody close with their arms wide open. I think so many people, I hear them say this, I'm annoying God. Listen, kick that thought out of your head as fast as you can. You do not annoy God. I've even heard people misinterpret the parable where Jesus is telling a story to get people to pray. He says, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he says, imagine that there's a neighbor that has a traveling friend come in the middle of the night, uh, and he has no food to offer, and they're starving, or they need a midnight snack, whatever the occasion was. And so that neighbor goes and beats on his neighbor's door at 12 a.m. or whatever, in the middle of the night. And in Jewish culture, you know, families all slept in the same room Children were in on the same bed with the moms and dads. Once everybody got asleep, you didn't budge, man. Or you ruined the whole thing. I've got six kids. I totally get it, and two cats. Totally get it, right? So Jesus is saying, you go and you beat on the door and you say, "Hey, open up! I've got a, I've got a, a friend that came and they're hungry." And they say, "Go away! We're all put away for the night. Go away!" And Jesus is saying, "I tell you, will he not eventually open up the door? Not because." He cares about you, but because you're bothering him. And then people stop with that interpretation. But you got to read the rest of it. And Jesus says, How much more? (laughs) How much more should you pray to God who's not bothered? I'm paraphrasing it here. That's the whole point of the parable. God's not like that. But you should be like that when you pray. Ask, seek, knock, beg, be like the widow that says, Give me justice. You're not bothering God. He loves. You know the greatest sound? Of God the Father to hear is a crying child he's adopted saying, help daddy, help, 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 rescue me again, I'm in trouble again, I did it again, help me, come and get me out of this. God loves that prayer, that's his favorite prayer. His least favorite prayer is, oh I thank you God that I'm not like him. He hates that prayer, he won't hear that prayer, but he gives grace to the humble, Abba, Father, you know, every language and ethnicity in the world has a version of this. Abba was the Aramaic term for dad. And, I, and I'm told that there's a Turkish like ada and in Spanish it's uh, what is it in Spanish Araceli? Silly? Papa, I don't Padre, papa. Every language has that. And you know who made that language up? It wasn't the adults. It was the kids. It was the infants. It's like a way to lisp, dada, abba, abba, papa. In Aramaic, mom is amma. I'm I'm not trying to be silly. I'm just saying, what is God trying to show us here? This is intimacy. By the way, it's the last point. We're in the last point now. Almost done. Stick with it, okay? There there is spiritual reality. That's how the Spirit helps us. He enlightens us. There is divine security. You belong to God. Nothing could ever change that. And then there is deep intimacy. Don't you need that? Don't you want that? Don't you crave that? Man, I do. And God says, yes, you have it. I send my very spirit. He comes and he bears witness with your spirit. And you cry out, Abba, Father. When does a baby really cry out? When they're happy or when they need their dad or their mom. That's when they cry out. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. Saying what? That we are a child of God. He doesn't want us to be confused about that. We fall back when we don't view God as our father. We may obey, but listen, it would be for the wrong motive. Anybody in here obey just out of fear? I'm not going to do this sin because I'll regret it later. I'll hate myself in the morning. I could lose my reputation. I could lose my job. I could lose my ministry platform. I could lose my, you know, friend, my girlfriend, my spouse, my kids, my family, whatever. That's the, that's the wrong, that's the lowest motivation you should have for not sinning. Use it when you have to, use whatever motivation you can, but that's the weakest one. If that's the only way you're eking out obedience, man, I'm so happy to tell you today, you've missed the boat. There's a much higher, there's a much higher prerogative for you to obey God. We have not been given the spirit of, of fear again to slavery. You're not slaves in the sense that, you know, God is just your employer. Perfect love cast out all what? Fear. Here's the right way to obey, love, gratitude. God has done so much for me. I could never repay him, and he's not asking me to repay him. He's asking me to follow him, to to be conformed to his image. I heard a story, Sarah and I, one of the first trips we went on when we were married was a mission trip um, to Romania. And one of the places we got to go, I've always been fascinated by the, I'm sorry, Dracula story. I've just always been fascinated by that. because, Because it's based on an actual king who lived in Wallachia. I don't know if I'm saying it the right way. The Carpathian Mountains in Romania, they're, they're gorgeous, they're enchanting. And we, we got to go to, to, it's called Brom Castle. And it's where an actual king in Wallachia named Vlad the Impaler lived. He reigned there. He was a fierce ruler, and listen, he was famous for Vlad the what? Vlad the Impaler. Here's a story. Here's a picture of him on the left, okay? Looks pretty fierce, doesn't he? If you crossed him... Guess what, what happened to you? Impalement. Do you want me to explain to you what impalement is, or can you use your imagination? Sharp stake in the air. Okay, right. Out your mouth. All right. So people obe- obeyed Vlad the Impaler. They were terrified of him, though. And here's what was said the, the, Some people say this was a legend, but I've researched it as best I could. It seems true to me. It's on the internet. It has to be true, right? So he reigned for seven years. And there was a village, and I've got it in my notes, I can't pronounce it, Tarkust or something like that, and he declared that a golden chalice made out of pure gold be sit, be sat, be sit, sat, have sat, be placed on the top of the well, and that anybody could use that golden chalice to drink, but nobody was to move it. And guess what? For seven years, nobody moved that thing. And it was said that the people knew that Vlad the Impaler was still alive and on his throne because that was there. And then one day it disappeared. And they knew what? He was dead, right? So check it out. That guy could command obedience in his kingdom. Let me ask you a question. Do you think people were paranoid? Would you be paranoid? Is Vlad okay? Is it that that you wake up? Hey, is Vlad angry today? Am I in his good graces? Yeah, what a paranoid and suspicious way of living. And I know a lot of Christians that live that way too. And God gets no glory from that. And, and I want to tell you this, not to slap you, but to help you. That's the worst advertisement for Christianity in the world. is to see a frightened paranoid on the edge of their seat, Christian, never really knowing where they stand with God. And then we're asking them, "Hey, you want to live this way too?" No thanks. I heard the story of I'm going to get back to this. You're saying, "Why is Jonathan Edwards up there? For a reason? I heard the story of a girl who grew up living under a, an abusive pastor who took her to church all the time and did a bunch of other stuff too. And she said this, she said, she said, the difference between God and Satan was that I always knew where I stood with Satan at least. She said, with God, I could never tell. Man, don't, you don't have to live that way. Here's another story that's true, Okay. Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield preached the mid-1700 Great Awakening revivals in the colonies in Northampton. And it was said that during the time of the awakening and the revival in Northampton, all the taverns shut down. Uh, All all the, the licentious living, I mean, it was truly a revival. It swept families, it swept men, it swept women, children, everybody. Even the cows got saved. No, I don't know that. But the whole village was impacted. And here's what one man said. He said, It was said that a bag of gold could be left in the middle uh, of Northampton for the whole three to five year period of the Great Awakening and, and nobody would have moved it. Now I'm just I read that and I thought, oh, that's so interesting, man. So here's Vlad the Impaler and the golden chalice didn't move for seven years. Why? Fear. Fear. Here's another scenario that was just, I know it's theoretical. But a bag of gold, a bag of golden coins could be left in the middle of Northampton when the Great Awakening was happening, and nobody would touch it. Why? Love. That's it. Thank you, whoever said that. Do you see the difference? One is the right way to live your Christian life, and the other is a poor way to live your Christian life. And God's inviting you. Don't you want to live the right way? Why don't you? <laughs> the Spirit's doing this in your heart. This is not just some esoteric, elite uh, experience for a certain kind of Christian. Romans 8 is mere Christianity. That's Christianity for every single person. These are realities that's true of every single person who is in Christ. And Paul is wanting to put that in your heart. This is the way you're supposed to be living. Man, what a way to live. I want it. Sign me up. Sign me up. Remind me of these things. Holy Spirit. Okay, we're at 42 minutes. and I'm going to read you one experience, of, of uh, and then we're going to close and have Lord's Supper, Okay. When, when he says in the very last part of this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. That means whatever is coming to Jesus is coming to us. We're heirs, we're heirs. we're seated together in the heavenly places with Jesus. What what a thought. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the next section here, he's transitioning into suffering. And we're going to talk about that more next time. But just for a second, I want to talk about this testifying. There is such a a division in what people believe this is and is not. But C.S. Lewis wrote wrote about something that happened to him um, years ago. And I wanted to read that. In 1951... God gave C.S. Lewis, who, as you know, was he was a teacher at Oxford, he was a writer, he was an author, he was an apologist, he was a deep Christian thinker, a very intelligent man, and, and I want to use his story because so often we think like this subjective experience that we can have uh, with Jesus, uh, that's in contradistinction to intellectually understanding the, the doctrine of the Bible, and it's not. You can't pit those against one another. One really fuels the other. But C.S. Lewis said this in 1951. um, He wrote to a friend about a personal breakthrough. And he said this, During this past year, a great joy has befallen me. He said, befallen me. He received it. He He didn't conjure it up. He received it. And he said this, Difficult though it is, I shall try to explain this in words. Sometimes we believe that we believe what really in our heart we do not believe. For a long time, I believed that I believed in the forgiveness of sins. But suddenly, on April 25th, this truth appeared in my mind in so clear a light that I perceived that never before had I believed it with my whole heart. Isn't that interesting? Lewis was touched by God. The Spirit bore witness with his spirit. Later, he wrote to another friend, and he said this, From mere intellectual acceptance of who realization of the doctrine that our sins are forgiven. That is perhaps the most blessed thing that ever happened to me. How little they know of Christianity who think that the story ends with conversion. He's talking about God is just beginning to pour out his blessing on you. When he changes you into a new creature, he has more for you. And then, uh, just real quick, let me read D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a famous Chicago evangelist. And a fire broke out in Chicago, burned two-thirds of the city, destroyed his church, destroyed his home. He was grief-stricken. He went up to Manhattan. He was walking the streets of New York. He was trying to get funds to rebuild his church, and he was struck. He was just struck by, by grief at what a sinner he was. And he was praying, like, God, show me more of yourself. And this is, this is what he said. He was walking down Wall Street, and he was struck with a sense of his sinfulness He saw a glimpse of himself, his sinful heart. He was overcome with grief and longing to be with God privately. This irresistible impulse came upon him. He knew he had to get alone and pray. He remembered a friend who lived not far away, and he went there asking to use a room in his friend's home for prayer, and he stayed in that room for several hours, and it was during that time that he was overcome with the presence of God. And this is what he said about it years later. He wrote this, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would be as the small dust of the balance. Now, what the Bible talks about in Romans 5 the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given us. That's all that this is talking about. It is an experience of God's love, I believe subjectively, that is poured out in your hearts, that the Holy Spirit of God, this is the, this is the language, it's, it's, it's martia, it's, it's a martyr. It's somebody who's testifying about Jesus and they're slain, they're killed they're, for their faith. It means to co-testify. And then the picture is of a courtroom where let's say you've been accused of a crime, okay? And there's evidence that maybe you did do the crime, but there's also evidence that maybe you didn't. And in, in the courtroom, the jury is torn. And you're saying, no, 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 I, I, I think I'm innocent. I think I'm okay. And then all of a sudden, there's this surprise witness that comes into the courtroom. And this witness says, I testify. This person is completely innocent in this crime and totally righteous and belongs to me. That's the, that's the scenario of what the Holy Spirit is doing here. He comes and he co-testifies his spirit. Bears witness with your spirit. Your your spirit is weak, right? And unsure and vacillates. And the Holy Spirit comes and testifies along with your spirit and says, you're a child of God. You belong to me. And then you cry out, Abba, Father, yes. That's what this passage is talking about. God wants you to have assurance that you're his child, that he's adopted you, that that will never, ever change. And man, when that reality sinks, are you ever galvanized and weaponized to fight against sin. If you don't know where you stand with God, you're going to be toast. I'll tell you that right now. All it's going to take is a couple of loose accusations and you're done. Your mouth is shut. You're silenced. You're you're toast for the enemy. That's not what God wants and that's not the reality that, that we have to face because of Jesus. Amen? What did it cost? What did it cost God for all of these realities to be true? That's what we're about to celebrate. That's what Cliff is going to Lead us in right now. Let's pray. And if you have children in the back who have professed faith in Christ and are walking with God, bring them in. The teachers are expecting you. You can go back there and grab your children, and we're going to celebrate communion. And then we'll have a couple announcements, and we'll be gone. Hey, guys, I'm so excited that you came today uh, on a holiday weekend. Um, It just thrills my heart. What precious realities God wanted to remind us of today, huh? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. For this day, for these truths, for this power, for this new reality that you have sent your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to remind us of these things, to equip us, to continually unleash truth, remind us of, uh, of the truth of where we stand with you, our new standing as adopted children that will never change. I pray for us, Lord, as we celebrate our new life, we will reflect and remember what it cost you. We will remember your body that was broken and your blood that was shed on our behalf. And we will proclaim your death until we come. And and even communion will be even a deeper means of assurance today. That's why you gave us this ordinance, to remind us that we are yours. It cost you such a great price that we should know that it's never going to change. We did nothing to secure it and cause it to begin with. So there's nothing we can do, Lord, to forfeit that. So minister to our hearts today during this time in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen.
2: Could the servants uh, please come down? And Congregation, did you hear some good news today? What a wonderful message. Thank you, Pastor. It was um, just as, as he preached, I was just thinking so much about the goal of Grace Life is to preach the gospel. gospel is good news. And if you come to church and at some point you don't hear good news about what Christ has done for you, we've failed in preaching the gospel. It always is going to lead you to Christ. It's always going to show you the great things that we have in Christ. And just uh, we have a pastor who endeavors to make that the center of this church. I'm going to share a few things. And as we do, just uh, could you please go ahead and pass out the elements? And these are these uh, updated uh, cups. So you you flip it on the the bottom and you can take the bread out and hold it and you can open the top and we'll take together. I just wanted to share, when I first started going to church, was there anything, if you're like me, maybe that when you, maybe you started going to church and you didn't really appreciate it and then later you started to appreciate it more Um, I'll say when I first started going to church I went to a small storefront church you know, to where there's like 10 people there and you know, it takes a lot of courage to walk into a church you've never been to before I wasn't even invited to it Uh, and I just walked in and you know everyone's looking at you and, and then you start worshiping and you know, it was kind of a much more charismatic church so they're all very uh, expressive in their worship, and I'm just kind of standing there, so I would have to admit that I started just showing up when I knew the worship would be over, so I just kind of go into the message, (laughs) and uh, that's how it was for me for a long time, but over time I really started to appreciate the worship because I started to understand what was happening because at first it was kind of awkward, and I want to say the same thing about communion, for me as well like when I first started doing communion I didn't understand the depths that we do it but over the years um, when you read more truth about it and you, you hear the truth preached about it you start to understand it and, and appreciate it more and more and more and I hope that's a truth to you today and I don't want to forget the people online um, you can partake with us as well um, if you have some juice or a piece of marita bread go ahead and grab it and I mean, I, I, I guess it's okay to drink wine this early in the morning. I mean, that's between you and the Lord. <laughs> that's all you have. <laughs> yeah, just just a little touch, right? Um, but uh, that that's uh, communion has come to mean so much more for me. And just being, I, I went to school for a little bit and to see how the reformers, man, they debated what communion was, and they getting fierce fights about it and you read some of the letters going back and forth and that's just not what it's supposed to be It's, it's a time of peace and a time of reflection and it makes us look at the cross you know when jesus did that he i would like to read to you with fervent desire this is in luke with fervent desire i have desired to eat this passover with you before i suffer he was waiting for this and the background of this, this is a Passover meal, he was, they were doing Passover and this is when he instituted he redefined the Jewish Passover and gave a new meeting and hopefully opened all the eyes of the Jewish, uh, of the disciples who were there and even this feast that the Jews were practicing for hundreds of years, probably two, three thousand years, was preaching the gospel the whole time and I, I really identify with that so much because there's been so many times that I realize after time God was telling me something for years and years and years and years and, years and I finally had my eyes open. I was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry I'm so dull, Lord, but you're so good and he's so gentle um, to show us those things with his love. And as he explained that, he did say that it's his fervent desire. He keeps us to look at the cross to see what he's done for us. Because in that, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take your bread. Lord, we do take this bread in remembrance of you, your broken body. And we remember this cup, Lord. Your blood shed for us. And we remember on the cross, you said it is finished. 2,000 years ago, you paid our debt, and we thank you, Lord. I also want to remember here in Luke how it was recorded that the, the Lord said, I will not drink of this fruit again until I drink it in the kingdom of God with you. He keeps us looking at the cross, but through the cross, he keeps us looking into the future. That one day he will serve us. We will sit at his table, and he will serve us this cup, and we will drink with him. Amen. Mm-hmm. Isn't that good news? Did you have the gospel preached to you again through a cup and uh, through a cup and uh, bread today? Amen. We thank you, Lord God. We take this in remembrance of you. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Strengthen us through this week, through this month, through these years, Lord. Bless our family. Bless our time together, Father. We pray in Jesus.
0: says after the, uh, after the Lord celebrated communion with his disciples, it said that they went out and they sang a hymn together. So do you have a hymn for us, TJ? You guys can stand. We're going to sing our closing hymn, and then I'm uh, going to give just a couple of really quick announcements. We'll say our charge, and we'll be out of here. here.
1: this The week this watch and pray finding me thine only know cause Jesus paid it hope. indeed i find thy power in thine alone can change a leper's spot and melt this heart of stone because jesus paid it home. crimson stain he washed it white as snow and then before the throne I'll stand in him complete Jesus died my soul to save my lips shall soon repeat cause Jesus paid it all crimson stain he washed it white as snow more time and sin had left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow father god we just praise you for what you've done for us father for offering us uh, offering us grace father that we can come as we are to you father and you are not annoyed with us, Father, but we can come back over and over and over again to you, Father. That you will never turn us away, Father. And we just love you and we praise you for what your gospel has done in our lives, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, you guys can sit if you want, or you can stand. We're going to stand back up in just a second. I just have a few announcements. Uh, number one, if, if something has moved you or provoked a question in you or unsettled you in a, in a, in a good way, sometimes it's good to hear something maybe spiritually provocative uh, or concerning to you or that leaves you unsettled, I would love the opportunity to meet with you. I know all of our elders, we have a team of people that hang out in the back. Afterwards, it was my fault to to forget to mention that to you that would love to meet with you and help you. Or you can just fill out. We've got a Connect card to fill out when you leave. We don't pass an offering plate, but we have a donation box in the back, and you can leave your information, and we'd love to get in touch with you. Um, We have just a few announcements today today. One of them is, after communion, I always remind our people, please, we rent this high school, and we're in good relationship with them. We always want to leave it as clean as or better than we left it, so take these with you. They have a trash basket in the back. You can drop it off on your way out. A few announcements. Number one, we got some slides to accompany them. I hope. I hope we do. Yes. Student gathering, Sundays, September 4th, September 18th, from 6 to 8 p.m. Now, listen, tonight... If you're, if, this is Move Up Sunday also, so if your student is entering into sixth grade, now they can be a part of our student program led by Matthew Carr, his wife Alexa, and a team of ambassadors. And tonight is kind of a kickoff celebration. They're going to meet here, right here in this auditorium from six to eight. They're going to have a killer pizza party. They're going to have a Bible study, play some games, and I hope you students and, and parents, if they need a ride uh, Talk to somebody. <laughs> Get them a ride right up here. Drop them off. Six to eight. It's going to be a good time, and then they're going to do it again on the 18th. Uh, I don't think it'll be here on the 18th. We got an encouraging announcement coming up about potential change where our students are going to meet. Really excited about that. Next slide. Community groups are launching this week. I think most of the six are launching this week, and. Love for you to be a part of that's the heartbeat of our church. Not really what happens on Sunday, but what happens throughout the week as people meet together, do life together, pray with one another, encourage one another, do outreach together, fellowship together, discuss the sermon together. So, if you want to be a part of that, go on our website, www.gracelifeflorida.com. Go to the top, click on the tab that says community, and pick a community group. It will send a message to a leader. He'll give you access, he'll send you an email, and it'll tell you what days they meet. Probably already tells you that, so you can pick which one you want to be a part of, but try to be a part of one of those or of a discipleship group, too. Same tab. Next one, DHS Supply Collection for Families in Transition here at the, at the school. That's today. If you forgot it, don't worry about it. You can connect with Diane and figure out a way to get a donation or some uh, hygiene products to the school to help some of those students. That's the first Sunday of every month when we do that. Is that it, guys? That's it. Stand to your feet. We're going to do our charge together. This, is, this may seem weird if this is your first time. It may seem kind of cultic. Why are we all chanting this thing together? Here's why we do this. Because we all need to be reminded that there is a world out there that is dwelling in darkness. There's, there's blindness. And they need to hear the good news about Jesus' rescue. And God has commissioned you and I to tell them. If we don't tell them, who else will? The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. We're his witnesses. So, remind ourselves together. Ready? I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his spirit to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. God bless you. Have a wonderful Labor Day. Tomorrow is Labor Day, right?